What's up, NFL fans? Welcome back for another episode of Four Down Territory, uh, post-conference title game, pre-Super Bowl edition. Once again, as, lo- uh, as always, Doug Farrar, Touchdown Wire, uh, with me here, Luke Easterling from Draft Wire and Bucks Wire, here to break it all down. Uh, and then there were two, right, Doug? We got two teams left. The Chiefs and the Eagles are headed to the Super Bowl. Uh, but first, let's get to let's get to what happened this weekend in the conference title game before we get to that matchup. Chiefs win 23-20 in the AFC title game over the Bengals, right? Patrick Mahomes, 23, uh, 29 of 43, 326, two touchdowns, no picks, pass rating of 105.4. He did it against the defense that obviously had had his number each of the last three times they played. And moreover, he did it with an obviously injured right ankle, right? The high ankle sprain from the week before. He's down multiple receivers due to injury. Uh, I mean, so many different uh, reasons why the Chiefs and Mahomes himself shouldn't have had a successful game. He did it anyway. I mean, obviously, since 2018, we've seen all these different ways in which he's had incredible games. But is this the most impressive we've ever seen a performance from Mahomes? I was watching the tape this morning, Luke, and I kind of think it is. Um and I know the, the touchdown pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, in the third quarter, everyone's raving about that, and it entirely justified. There was a throw he made to Nicole Hardman, on which Hardman became like the 12th Chiefs receiver to get hurt, uh, where he rolled to his left, and he had Jermaine Pratt right on him on a, a zone pressure thing. And he threw that into cover, too, to Hardman, I mean, across his body on one foot. It's, it's the stuff he does... I think overall it's certainly in the top two or three. In this spotlight against the defensive coordinator Lou Anaruma, who had taken his lunch money over and over, down four receivers due to injury, and Travis Kelsey had a back problem. Mahomes took the field just barely, and you could see as the game went on that whatever he took to make his performance possible in the first place was wearing off. The first half and the second half, two very different halves. He was more and more hampered as things went along, and still he got it done as he had never done before against this particular team um, with with Anna Rumo and these defensive players. And the most remarkable turnaround, we talked about this last week, Luke, came in the second half. The Bengals had made Mahomes look like an undrafted free agent in the second halves and overtime of the three previous Chiefs losses. He had completed 25 of 44 for 503 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass rating of 54.5 in those previous three second halves and overtimes. Yep. In the second half of this game, with his body and his receiver core falling apart, Mahomes completed 16 of 24 passes for 161 yards, a touchdown, no picks, and a pass rating of 99.5. I mean, this guy doesn't have a lot of demons to exercise in his career, but he certainly took care of the few that are there on Sunday. And I think given everything, I mean, you can look at the, you know, the Rams game a couple of years ago, all kinds of amazing stuff Mahomes has done. I think this was the most impressive performance, single-game performance of his NFL career. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen at this point some, some otherworldly things from, from Mahomes already in his career, but this particular one I feel like was so important. And we heard the chatter all week long, the Burrowhead stuff and all the stuff that you know the Bengals have created, this kind of like all the pressures on the Chiefs here, right? I know you're going to Kansas City, but because of the history, all the pressure was on the Chiefs and, the, and Mahomes to come through, right? And so the high stakes, like you said, the injuries, both his own and his teammates, he had every reason to fold in this scenario. Nobody would have really blamed him, right? Again, struggling in the past, even at full strength, and now you're, you're down all your receivers, you're hurt. Nobody would have thought twice. I don't even know that it would have negatively impacted his legacy at this point at all because it was kind of what everybody would have expected. Like, yeah, he was hurt, so we understand. 
And in the face of all that, he delivered, right? A gutsy performance we'll be talking about from years to come, obviously, especially if the Chiefs go on to Arizona. And I think the thing that really stands out to me, Doug, and maybe you can speak a little to this, is I don't know what Lou Anarumo should have done differently. I don't know what he could have done defensively and schematically to take away something that was there. I feel like you just got beat by one of the greatest players to ever play this game. Am I right there? Yeah, I mean, there were different things. He had uh, he had the one rollout to his left, uh, the throw to Harden, which I, I put up on Twitter, and it's just it's one of the most ungodly throws given the circumstance that I've ever seen. Um, he had five rollouts to his right, four were against zone. The final one, and these were all in the first half, by the way. He rolled out to his right five times in the first half, didn't do it at all in the second half, which tells you something about, you know, Toradol or whatever wearing off. The, the, the last of those five rollouts to the right in the first half was a touchdown to Travis Kelsey. Because when you when Mahomes gets cover zero, then it's like, okay, I'm going to play spot the Huckleberry with Travis Kelsey. There right. was miscommunication in the Bengals secondary between Jesse Bates and Von Bell. And in this case, the Huckleberry was Jesse Bates, who's a great player. But, you know, if one miscommunication in, in that man look, and it's all over. So yeah. he was going full Steph Curry and then he knew when to capitalize. And even that final play, and we'll get to poor Joseph Asai in a minute. I mean, I don't know what would have happened if that game went to overtime. If, if Asai doesn't, you know, push him out of bounds and, and give the Chiefs that extra 15 yards they needed to kick the field goal, I don't know what Mahomes had left. And that, to me, is the most remarkable that people used to say about Michael Jordan. It's when you get the guy with the most talent who has the most insane work ethic and the most insane desire to win. When yep. you combine those three things, it's just, you know, you get that nuclear bomb of a player. And I think that's what we had with Mahomes. I mean, as far as what Anamurumo did, I think he did a lot of what he does, you know, covered switches and, you know, creeper stuff and zone pressures. Maybe you blitz Mike Hilton a little bit more. I don't know. I haven't watched the tape completely to tell you. But I can tell you, looking very specifically at what Mahomes did, he responded to Anarumo's looks in ways maybe he hadn't before. And I wonder if having the ankle, having the injured receivers, he needed to be, and I'm not saying he wasn't a quarterback before, for God's sake, but maybe he needed to be more of a quarterback and less of a pure athlete. I mean, the... The touchdown pass of Valdez Scantling, which was the most impressive throw, because he, I mean, that that was just a zinger. That yeah. wasn't pocket, that wasn't leaving the pocket. That was pocket movement. And if you watch the way he moved, we talked last week about Joe Burrow's pocket movement. That was on that level. So you almost wonder if, and I haven't seen the transcripts yet uh, uh, after the game, I almost wonder if Mahomes had to react differently just because of the physical limitations he was undergoing and what his receivers were going through, it's like, okay, I have to be perfect. And that's okay, because I can do that too. Right. Uh, and I mean, to, to look at the other side of the, the sideline in this game, let's go to the Bengals. I mean, the last two seasons, they've ended with a three-point loss to the Rams in the Super Bowl. Now a three-point loss in this game to the Chiefs in the AFC title game. I mean, it feels like the, the Bengals of the 80s, right? Two close Super Bowl losses to the Bill Walsh 49ers. Great teams, but they just kept missing it by just that much, right? So... What do the Bengals need? What is missing that can put them over the top maybe next season and finally get them to that point that we feel like they're so close to? I don't think they need to do that much. They've built this team really well. I mean, for all the talk over the years about the Bengals having, like, one scout and a bunch of magazines in their scouting department, they've really built this team well. Um, Joe Burrow has been saying for months that the 22 Bengals 
were a better team than the 21 Bengals that made the Super Bowl. And he's absolutely correct. They went from 17th to 5th in overall DVOA, 18th to 4th in offensive DVOA, 19th to 11th in defensive DVOA. They improved overall. Just you know, you could see you could see it on the field. They were sporting a 10-game winning streak coming into this game, and there weren't a lot of flukes there. Um, last season, this was a surprise. This season, we expected it. We expected the Bengals to be here. Nobody was shocked by this, and they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. I would focus on the offensive line because they can still upgrade there. I would look specifically at left tackle Jonah Williams, who will be on the final year of his rookie contract next season. He allowed 13 sacks and 45 pressures uh, in this season on 748 pass-blocking snaps. I suspect that if he had been in the last two games, it would have been more. Um, maybe some reinforcements in the secondary as well. Uh, Chidobia Ruzzi, their best corner, had been lost in week eight to a torn ACL. If he's in there, do we have a different result? Maybe, because Ruzzi is really good. Uh, other than that, a relatively healthy Bengals team should be expected to be right back in the hunt next season and beyond. And Oh, maybe don't ever single team Chris Jones, because doing that seems like a bad idea. Nope, to the Philadelphia Eagles. Don't do that. Yeah, I don't care where he lines up. That one guy on Chris Jones is probably a bad idea, um, regardless of your offensive line. But like you said, I, I think it is the offensive line. I think if that's still the spot, and I think it's frustrating after the offseason they had last year where they obviously threw a lot at him and tried to tried to deal with it, but obviously the injuries piled up. And I think at full strength, the one they have might have been enough, but that also speaks to a lack of quality depth if you don't have guys that are backups that can, that can serve. And I thought they played well against Buffalo, but I thought – the way things went against Kansas City might say more about Buffalo's pass rush and Buffalo's defensive front than it did about Cincinnati's offensive line. But I think, again, it, maybe the most – I mentioned Lou Anarumo earlier. Maybe the mo- biggest concern is if he leaves for a head coaching job and what happens yeah. with the defense there. Yeah, because it's, it's hard to replicate a guy who can scheme things up that well. Well, I mean, Alex Kappa played really well this year. I thought Leo Collins yeah. was okay. I think Jonah Williams is, for lack of a better word, kind of a problem. So, and they've got some cap room. Uh, we're, we're talking on Monday. Salary cap is going to be about two hundred and twenty-four million. Bengals have some room if they don't re-sign Burrow this year to his seven bazillion dollar contract that he's fully earned. Um, Do it they, now. Do it now. They can only going to get bigger. Yep, they can make some moves here. They can do some things. So I would not. I would be more surprised if the Bengals weren't in the final four next year than if they were, because they're right. clearly on the right path. Not going to lie, we Bucks fans are pretty proud of Alex Kappa. Watching watching a kid from Humboldt State come and play here as well as he did, playing with a broken arm, playing with all these injuries. He goes to he goes to Cincinnati and has such a great season. We're all we're all super happy for him down here in Tampa. Wish he was still here, that's for sure. So Plus he looks uh, like a Swedish death metal singer, which is even more he awesome. He's man, just a great dude. Great dude. Great. Any offensive line should want to have a guy like Alex Kappa on their team, I'm telling you. Uh, Humboldt um, State yeah. and then Ali Marpet came from uh, Omar. Omar. Omar, Omar yeah. College. Hobart and Humboldt. There you go. There's, there's Let's your go. We love, we love to see it. We miss both of those guys down here. Looking ahead to the Super Bowl, Doug, the third time in NFL history that we have the passing yards leader in the league taking on the number one pass defense in the NFL, at least by conventional metrics, right? The other two did not go well for the quarterbacks, right? We've got the, uh, the Seahawks taking over uh, Peyton Manning and the Broncos in Super Bowl 48, and obviously my personal favorite uh, with Rich Gannon and the Raiders, Super Bowl 37. Uh, getting dominated by the Buccaneers, obviously. I mean, honestly, my favorite, one of my favorite football stats is that the number one offense and the number one defense faced off in that game, and the number one defense, the Bucks defense, scored more points than the Raiders' offense did in that game. They had three pick sixes. The Raiders' offense only scored two touchdowns. 
just one of my favorite numbers of all time. But look, looking ahead at this matchup, how do we have, you know, we've got Mahomes against the Eagles defense. How does he overcome this historical deficit like we saw with Manning and Gannon against the Eagles in this Super Bowl matchup? I'll go back to another happy memory for you Buccaneers fans, uh, the last Super Bowl they won. Uh, because the matchup I am by, by far most concerned about for the Chiefs is Philly's ridiculous pass rush, especially Hassan Reddick, who basically stole the deed to San Francisco in the NFC Championship game um, against Kansas City offensive tackles Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, who have been vulnerable all season to pressure off the edge. That vulnerability has shown up, and I've talked about this before on 4DT, especially against guys like Reddick, who can win on the back half of the arc to the pocket. That is Brown's kryptonite in particular. Front half of the arc, he's great. Second half, it gets a little weird. So if Mahomes can overcome that with pocket movement and second reaction plays with however much he's able to recover from the high ankle sprain over the next two weeks now, things might be okay. Otherwise, we could be looking at a, a very close replay of Super Bowl 55 when the Buccaneers pass rush gave Kansas City's explosive offense no chance to explode. And in the offseason, the Chiefs replaced all five of their offensive linemen. Um, speaking, by the way, of bad blocking play, plans, the Chiefs should not try to block Hassan Reddick with tight ends and receivers as the 49ers did. That was also suboptimal. A lot of weird just blocking concepts, and I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, that that's the big thing. The Chiefs, maybe they, you know, could they run more two, th- two and three tight end sets this year? Maybe you bring in a Noah Gray to chip. Maybe Kelsey has to chip and release. Um, <clears throat> if they're going five on five and the Eagles use a lot of five-man fronts, their five is better than your five, and you're going to have to adjust to that. Yeah, I think, honestly, outside of Mahomes, I think Isaiah Pacheco is the key here. Yeah. I, I think – They've got to be able to run the ball consistently and effectively in this game if they want to win. Not only does it take pressure off Mahomes, but it's going to set up some of those big plays down the field if if they are able to lure the Vikings into the box a little more. And also, we've seen what Pacheco can do in the screen game and as as an outlet out of the backfield and making guys miss, breaking tackles, getting extra yardage. I feel like taking advantage of that aggressive pass rush with a really creative screen game is going to be key as well. I, I mean... Again, it, the, the dominance that we've seen from this defensive front in Philly has to scare them. But if you if you do it right and you're able to block well enough in the ground game and take those shots when you lure them down in the box, I feel like that the, the, the players are there, the scheme is there, they've got to execute it, but there's definitely a recipe here, and I think Pacheco's got to be a huge part of that. One thing I'll be writing about and watching for, uh, just going back on tape, the Eagles this season on defense were incredible against pass plays with pre-snap motion. They were the second worst defense in the NFL uh, against run plays with pre-snap motion. Well, what did the Chiefs do more than anyone else except the Niners and the Dolphins? Pre-snap motion. Run the ball, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, that's they've got to scheme their way out of it. They've got to block their way out of it. And, if they, like I said, if you just go five on five, game over. Eagles take that thing home, and they will have earned it. Let's finish up, Doug. Go back to the AFC title game. Obviously, you know, one of the big stories at the end of that was Joseph Osai, the edge rusher for the Bengals, pushes Mahomes out of bounds when he's clearly out of bounds a couple yards, yeah. ends up getting the 15-yard penalty that then puts the Chiefs in position to hit that game-winning field goal with eight seconds left. I mean, when you unfortunately have to go through these types of situations as a player when you've made such a big mistake in that moment, what's it like for you as a player, as a team? How do you get past this moment, and what kind of long-lasting effects do you try to mitigate uh, in, in the wake of something like that? It's really tough. You have you, you feel for the human being beyond the game. I will say that Osai 
shares the goat horns with referee Ron Torbert and his crew, who missed at least one and possibly two holds on Chiefs offensive linemen on that very space. Now, I know we're talking now about rip move exemptions and, you know, whether Mahomes is in or out of the pocket. But given what we've seen this year, Luke, do you trust <laughs> do you trust an officiating crew to properly legislate two holes? No, stop. I can stop you right there. You said the words, do you trust the officiating crew? Period. Stop right there. The answer to that is no. So whatever comes afterwards. So anyway, if they call one of those holds, which may or may not have been holds, but they look like holds, and, and that's pretty much what stripes go on in this year. Does it looks like it? I don't know. I don't even know if the ball hit the wire. Fix the officiating, NFL. Gah. Anyway, one of those holds get called. The uh, the roughness is offset. Now, you know, Asai is breathing a sigh of relief. You're playing for overtime. And as we said, how much does Mahomes have left in the tank? I don't know. Asai right. um, also had one of the best games of his young career, second-year guy. Five yeah. tackles, a tackle for loss, two quarterback hits, and a pass defense. He was playing his butt off until that happened. Uh, the best thing Asai can do, and I know it's hard, is focus on the good. Use what happened as fuel for the future and try to move on. The real key for the Bengals, and I've seen this, is to not let it ruin their future prospects because single plays like this can exact a heavy, heavy emotional toll. I was in the Seahawks locker room right after Russell Wilson's interception to Malcolm Butler in Super Bowl Forty Nine. I ran down to the locker room so I wanted to see what that looked like. I was in the building a lot, a lot in the few years after that. The Seahawks never recovered from that one play. Everything started to unravel and eventually fall apart. And, again, it's really tough. You can't let that one bad play define your future, no matter how impossible it seems in the moment. Um, I just, you know, Asai was just beyond, you know, beside himself. And you understand why. Good uprising player. You hope he can get past it. And you hope the Bengals can get past it. It it seemed from what they said after the game, like, yeah, we'll be fine. But once you get back in there, you just don't know. So I, I hope most specifically that Osai is able to just, okay, you know, I, I did it. Let's move on. I hope that is the case, but you just never know. Yeah, I think obviously that's, you know, the most important thing is you feel for the player. Yeah. And I think, honestly, one of the biggest things that you can do in this situation is something we already saw from the Bengals in the wake of it Sunday night, right? Teammates immediately coming to his side to support him. That was great. That was when great. there was Cam, Cam Sample on the bench right afterwards, B.J. Hill in the locker room, uh, when Osai bravely stood there and, and took the hits for, for the mistake with the media, B.J. Hill was right there, not saying much, but they're just there in support and solidarity, and you know how huge that can be for a teammate in that moment. Osai was obviously still emotional at that point, but – I think in that moment, when it's still raw right after that, to know that you have your teammates, you have your brothers there to to hold you up and know that you're supported, I think is huge for, for him as a person. And I think that speaks to the second part of what you said, which is the team culture. Are they going to be able to handle that and move forward? I feel like what we saw in the reaction in the, in the wake of that immediately on Sunday night is a great sign that they will be able to do that in the future and, and to avoid kind of letting that be a letdown that, that goes beyond this game, right, and, and leaks into next season and into the team culture. Looks like they have some fantastic leadership there. Kudos to his teammates for picking him up. And obviously you just hope the team, but more importantly the person, uh, can can bounce back from this. And, and we'd love to see him have a great season next year and, and make a big play in the AFC title game or the Super Bowl to clinch it maybe next year. You'd love to see that kind of bounce back. Um, it looks like the, the the Bengals have the right people in that locker room to make sure that happens. And props to Otsai for standing there in the locker room and answering all the questions, because a lot of guys would have ducked out, and he didn't. Yep, it's true. It's true. 
Well, thanks so much again, NFL fans, for joining us for another episode of Four Down Territory. We hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, the weekend of uh, conference title games. Uh, we know we did as fans as well. Can't wait for the Super Bowl. Going to be a great matchup. Uh, thanks again for joining us. For Doug Farrar, as always, I'm Luke Easterling, and we'll see you next week.